0: Hi welcome back to The Spiritual Leader. Today I want to share with you a message that I spoke recently at Talking Church and the subject was staying focused. I believe this is something that we all need the purpose in our hearts to do as we walk forwards in the things that God's asked us to do. Hey hope you enjoy. I want to talk about staying focused. Staying focused is a key part of being a leader and leading something for God, whether that's staying focused on the journey that he's given you or staying focused on the assignment or task that's been committed to you. Staying focused is a really, really important aspect of being an effective leader for God in his kingdom. When it comes to staying focused as with everything, I believe our greatest example is Jesus. You know, Jesus showed us um, how to stay focused on something that when you've been sent to do something, to accomplish something, how to stay focused on that and not be distracted by things or people or issues, but to remain focused upon the purpose of what you're doing. And to me, one of the moments that really catches my attention with Jesus is this moment we read about in Luke chapter 9 verse 51. And Jesus knew he'd been on the earth doing miracles, blessing people, taking care of people. But Jesus always knew that his greatest purpose was to go to the cross, to to die on the cross for the sins of man. And there were many things that tried to take him away from that task or purpose. But he remained resolute and focused on what he'd come to do, even when people around him, didn't realise or appreciate um, what he was doing or where he was heading. He chose to keep his face set on the purpose of why he'd come. And I want to just read this verse to you from um, chapter 9, verse 51, where it says, "'At the time, uh, uh, as, as the time approached for him to be taken up to heaven, "'Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem.'" Now that's what the NIV says, it's quite polite. Jesus resolutely set off for Jerusalem. It says, as the time was approaching, suddenly Jesus within himself knew that the moment was coming that he had to go to the cross, die on the cross for the sins of men. And it says in that moment, he suddenly set his attention resolutely um, as he wouldn't be disturbed or distracted to getting to Jerusalem. It wasn't about Jerusalem, it was the cross that was waiting for him in Jerusalem. Other translations, I like what the King James Version says, it says, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Another translation says, he set his face like Flint. That's a great way of putting, isn't it? He set his face like Flint. He looked at what he needed to do, what he'd been sent to do, and he set his face towards that task and that purpose and said, "I will not be distracted. Um, I'm going to achieve what I was sent uh, to achieve. I'm going to do what I was sent to do." Now, good leadership, I believe, stays focused. Now, we've got people watching from all around our congregations and all around the world today, tuning in for Talking Church and talking into, uh, tuning into these thoughts. I want to say to you that good leadership is a leadership that stays focused, even when other people or other things don't stay focused. Good leadership purposes in its heart to set its face like flint on what it's come to do or what it's set out to achieve. Whether that's a journey to finish a journey that we started or to complete a task or a purpose or an assignment that we've been on. Now we've shared a lot over the last couple of weeks on vision and the importance of vision. But you know what? It's not just good enough to have vision. When you have vision, vision then needs focused leadership. Because if you just have vision, but don't have a focused leadership um, to take you into that vision, it's so easy to be distracted by people and things that will cause you not to arrive at the zenith of the vision that was given to you. And about having good leadership or focus is to know where you're going, and to know in your heart what your assignment is. Now, Don't get me wrong, people sometimes have different assignments at different times in their life. Sometimes there's an overall assignment to a person's life that's made up of many little assignments. What I'm saying is, <clears throat> whenever you have an assignment, a purpose, task, somewhere to go, something to do, always, like Jesus, be resolute be somebody that can't be bought, purchased out of fulfilling that vision, but rather, like Jesus, be someone who sets their face to achieve what they said they would achieve. Now, it's interesting, when you come to being resolute (coughs) or um, living true to your vision or staying focused, it's about avoiding and managing distractions. It really is. Boy, the last few months for us in family church have been filled with many possible distractions. Nobody saw a world pandem- uh, pandemic coming or, or the lockdown or COVID. When it all started, we thought that it may last four weeks at the most. Here we are over six months later, still managing and navigating our way through um, this thing, this season called COVID, etc. But what we had to, what I had to do very early on was say, listen, how does this affect or distract us from what God has asked us to do? Now, we weren't absent or short of vision coming into the lockdown, coming into this season called COVID or coronavirus, we weren't lacking vision. We knew, we set off in January. We knew that God wanted us to concentrate on small groups and the community life of family church. And also the biggest thing that we were hearing was turn our eyes, lift our eyes to the harvest fields, that we had to be evangelistic. We had to be a soul winning church. And we had a number of things that in our vision Um, Sunday at the beginning of the year in January, we said, this is where we're setting off together to arrive. This is what we want to achieve together in this year called 2020. Again, we called the year 2020 a year of refocusing or correct vision. Little did we know the things that were coming. Many of the things that came have been um, just nothing short of distractions wanting to pull us away from what God has asked us to do. And as a leadership in family church, we've had to be quite stubborn. We've had to be quite um, set your face like flint to not allow very real things that were happening around us that needed to be managed, things that we needed to respond to correctly. We had to be careful we didn't allow those things to distract us from what God had asked us to do. And I just want to say thank you to the leaders in Family Church that have helped me to navigate through this season that we've been through, because I believe that we're still focused with faces set on the things that God asked us to. But there's been many distractions, many distractions that were good-looking distractions, some of them, alternative distractions, things that we could do. interesting distractions that were coming from every direction. You know, at one point during this time of leading through COVID, leading the church through COVID, it felt like I was on one of the old arcade games. Now, if you're old enough, you'll remember Games like uh, Space Invaders and Galaxians, and uh, you used to go to the arcade at the fun fair or near the beach, and uh, put your 10p in. I think it was then, and then you had these two handles, and you had this little rocket ship. Things were a lot simpler with with games in those days. Uh, it was now, oh my goodness, I don't know where to start with PlayStation and all that stuff. But in those days, 10p in the slot, and you had this little spaceship that was you. These two handles, one went left and right one went forward and your agenda was to keep going where you were meant to go. But then shortly within the game, all these other things would begin, these these asteroids and these enemy battleships would always come to try and knock you off track, ideally to destroy you. But if they couldn't destroy you, to use up your ammunition or to distract you from moving forwards into the next layer of the game. That's what it felt like a lot as we were leading through this last 6 months that we had our focus we knew the level that we were in and where god was calling us to go but there was distractions from the right and distractions from the left and then suddenly there was an issue here something was happening here and though i believe we had a responsibility to deal with those things to manage those distractions uh, we had to keep focused like jesus we had to set our face like flint on where we were meant to be going. Because if not, I believe we could have got distracted away from the purpose of God. Now, I wanna take some time today to look at five key distractions. If you've got a notepad with you, you can write these down. Uh, Five key things that can potentially be distractions that can come into your life, your world, what you're leading to turn your face away from heading in the direction that you should be going. Number one, I want to call the first one good distractions. Often when it comes to distractions, they're not ugly or horrible. Sometimes they're very nice. Often they're very good but always remember good will often buy you out of great. When God gives you a great work to do, you need to stay focused on the great work he's asked you to do, not settle for a good work to replace it. When God asks you to be a great family, you need to concentrate always and set your face on being a great family and don't settle for something that just makes you a good family. You know, to me, I've seen over the last 30 years young men and young women distracted from the purposes of God for their life. Very rarely from ugly things, often beautiful, nice things. And that's often relationships. I've spoken to so many young people that said, I just want to serve the purposes of God. And they should have realized that when you seek first the kingdom of God, everything else he adds to you. He knows what you need, he knows what you want, he knows what you desire. But you see, first comes seeking first the kingdom, then he adds to your life. Or you can lay aside seeking what he wants you to seek and go and get the things you think you need yourself. I've seen this many times when I've dealt with young people that have encountered Jesus, felt a call on their life, set their faces to fulfilling that call, um, I want to give my life for the cause, for the purpose of Christ, and then all of a sudden, you know, if it's a young man, suddenly she walks in the room, or if it's a young lady, he walks in the room, and it's suddenly the face is no longer flint. It's like, oh, that's good. I like what I see and there's nothing evil in the person, but sometimes what can happen is the good of what you're seeing distracts you from the great path that you were on. The great work that you were doing suddenly stops and you settle for good. I want to encourage you, distractions can sometimes be good, bad, and ugly, but the ones that you need to often watch out for are the ones that are good. I've seen people leave the church and get disjointed from the work of the kingdom because of a great work opportunity that took them out of the location they were in to a place where they no longer connected with God and his kingdom, yet they had a pay rise and a better job. We need to think circumspectly concerning our life, have prudence concerning our life, but sometimes the greatest distractions that can come into our life are great opportunities, good opportunities, things that we wanted deep within us that we feel will fulfill us. And none of those things are ugly. It's not like the devil turning up with a dragon's tail and a couple of horns, breathing fire. Oh no, it's the devil. He's come to distract me. Sometimes he will use very nice things to get you off of the road of purpose that you're on. And uh, I honestly believe if money or finances or stuff will take you away from the great work that God wants you to do, then the devil's got an open checkbook. He's not broke. He'll say, how much does it take to stop you doing what God has asked you to do? Uh, Maybe the checkbook is people's opinion. People will like you if you stop doing this. Maybe it's stuff, I'll give you money. How much do you want to leave the great work or the purpose that God has given you? We need to be resolute in our hearts. Like Jesus was resolute. He knew why he'd come and what he was here to do. He loved it but where people were with him, but he didn't care if they weren't because he was living in the purpose of God for his life and nothing could buy him out. Remember, the devil tried to buy him out. Remember that moment uh, when he was taken after his baptism into the wilderness. And it says that in that moment, the devil offered him nations and kingdoms. He took him to the top of mountains and said, all of this belongs to me, I'll give it to you if you just worship me. Um, Now, for many people today, it would only take a Krispy Kreme donut for the devil to take them off track. Listen, Jesus wasn't being offered offered a Krispy Kreme donut. He was being offered leadership, um, uh, presidents. He was being offered kingdoms. But Jesus wasn't distracted by any of the offers that the devil was legally making to him because Adam had handed authority of those things to the devil. The devil wasn't sitting on a rock offering things he couldn't give. He was saying to Jesus, you know I have these things. And if you worship me, if you do this, if you do that, I'll give them to you. But Jesus was resolute again. That's why I love the analogy of Jesus being our ultimate blueprint when it comes to staying focused. He said, get behind me, devil. The word of God says it is written, it is written, it is written. Because deep within Jesus, he knew that at the end of the journey, the other side of the cross, all that stuff would be his anyway. So he wasn't fooled by momentary teasing or, 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 or provoking. He said, no, no, I'm staying focused here. Devil, get behind me. So again... Watch out for good distractions. Sometimes there's bad distractions. Things happen and they come to take our attention. I understand that. But a lot of the times when I look over the last 30 years of my life, a lot of distractions that come are good, but they come to take you away from great. Don't settle for good, settle for great. Great is what God has asked you to do in the way he's asked you to do it. So number two, small thinking. Whenever you've got a great work to do and God's given you something to do, or somebody's given you something to do, you have a vision, you have a task, you have a purpose, You've got to stay focused on that task. Now, whenever a vision or something comes from God, it's normally bigger than what we think we can do on our own. It's huger than what we think we can accomplish in our own strength. And that's good, because if a vision God gives you doesn't scare you, it's probably not from God. We need to have big, scary, hairy visions that make us go, whoa, God, if you're not in this, I don't know if we're going to make it through but you stay focused on that vision. But you see, when you're a big thinker, you've got to avoid small thinkers. Now, the problem that I have with small thinkers is their thinking is too small. Let me say that again, I love all people, but the problem I have with small thinkers, why I don't actually like to hang out too much with small thinkers, I love them, that's not the point, but I don't like to hang out with small thinkers because their thinking is too small. I sit there and talk about how we're gonna change the world. They say how we're gonna make it through the week. I don't wanna think small. I don't wanna step into their myopic way of thinking. I want them to join me in the vastness of this adventure that God has placed us on. So avoid small thinking. Whenever God gives you a great work to do, something he entrusts. Now, whatever God entrusts to you is a great work. Be careful then of people coming around you and going, oh yeah, you're just a dreamer, you're just a dreamer. You need to come and focus on this little thing that we're doing, come and join us in this little work. We're doing something, no, 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 no. You're a small thinker and your small thinking aggravates me. You come and join me in my big thinking because God is a God of vision. Now don't get me wrong, vision always has subsections. I'm not saying that a subsection is a smaller or myopic thing. I'm actually saying when anything is attached to larger vision, it makes itself large. So anything that's a component in a larger vision is a great work. But sometimes you'll have people come along here and and they'll sit alongside and they'll go, you're kind of dreaming, aren't you? Listen, I'm concentrating on this little section here. Why, Why don't you come and join me and we'll just focus on this. No, 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 no. You come and join me. I'm on a journey, I've got a great work to do, God's given me something to do, I know he's spoken to my heart, I know what he's asked of me. I'm not coming into your little myopic world, your small thinking. I want you to take the lid off your life, remember what we shared last week, lidless living, and come, let's live under an open heaven and do something on the earth with the life that God's given us, that leaves us at the end of it all looking at each other going, wow, wow. I don't want to end my days and sit there and and look at Gina and my leaders and go, yeah, that's kind of what we imagined would happen. I don't want to do that. I want to say just wow, but God, wow. Come on, don't let small thinking take you away from expansive thought. Don't let small thinking, small thinkers, take you away from the great work or the great thing that you're involved in or what God's asked you to do. So the next one, number three. So we've spoken about Good distractions, we've spoken about. Small thinking, these are enemies of staying focused. Number three is people's issues. Sometimes people's issues that are real can come to take you away from being focused on what God has asked you to do. Sometimes there are issues are about genuine things. Sometimes their issues come from jealousy. Sometimes their issues come from offence. There's a number of things that can cause a person to have an issue. Now, sometimes issues are genuine. When we read in the Bible about the woman with the issue of blood, that wasn't her fault. She had a genuine issue, but look what she did. With her issue, she didn't focus on anything else but Jesus. She said, I'm gonna set my focus. And she had a scary focus, a woman with the issue blood. Oh my goodness. She had a scary focus. It says that doctors couldn't help her. Her money was gone. She was bleeding to death. She had an issue. She had an issue of blood, according to the Bible. But it says, then she set her eyes on Jesus and said, I am going to touch the hem of that garment. That was that same persuasion or resolute living that Jesus had when he looked at the cross and said, I am going to arrive at that cross. And guess what? She arrived at the hem of a garment. She touched the hem of a garment. The issue of, uh, of blood was removed. The virtue of Christ was, what if she would have just gone, well, yeah, I'd like to touch the hem of a garment. No, she was resolute. She had some gumption. Come on, we need to make sure that we got some gumption. We got something happening in our backbone that keeps us getting up and going after the goals that God's given us. That's what leaders do. (coughs) Now sometimes, (coughs) well, a lot of times, it's other people's issues that can become distractions that come to stop you doing the great work what God has asked you to do. I walked through uh, yesterday and caught a little bit of um, Pastor Gina's Bible study and. She was doing a Bible study yesterday on Nehemiah. Again, if you've missed any of Pastor Gina's Bible studies, you can catch up those on the FC uh, Live uh, YouTube channel. But she was talking on Nehemiah, and I literally just walked through the room as she was talking on the bit, where Nehemiah (coughs) and his guys were up on the wall, 52 uh, days they were fixing that wall, God had given them a vision, repair the walls of Jerusalem, they were busy with it, You know the storyline of this. Um, They were under attack the whole time. He had people holding um, trowels and swords. In one hand, they had a trowel. In the other hand, they had a sword. One hand, they were getting the work done. The other hand, they were defending themselves. Everything was working against them, rebuilding these walls of Jerusalem. Now, Nehemiah was, was working with a great work. God had given Nehemiah a great work, a great work. God had come and said, get those walls rebuilt, Nehemiah. But the moment Nehemiah began to get the vision for rebuilding the walls, all hell let loose against him. Religious leaders turned on him. People began to turn to the left or to the right. But what I love about Nehemiah, he said, I'm going to get this done. You're not going to distract me. Um, I'm going to be a loving person. I'm going to be a caring person. Um, but I'm going to finish the great work that God has asked of me. <coughs> and And there's one moment that you can read about in Nehemiah 6 and verse 3. And again, different translations colour this in very much. It says in verse 1 of chapter 6, remember Nehemiah had gathered the stuff. He's rebuilding the wall. He's got a committed team around him that says, come on, this is what God's asked us to do. Let's stay focused on this. Stuff's kicking off around him, but he's staying focused. And it says in verse 1, (coughs) excuse me, we're just going to have a drink of water when the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah and and Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it. This was coming to the moment of completion. Um, Well, up to that time, I had not set the doors in in the gates yet. So he'd pretty much rebuilt the walls. He's just about to hang the gates. (coughs) Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message. Come down from the war, and let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Now, any place that's called Ono, you've got to go, oh, no, right? Oh, no. Oh, no. So they were saying to him, come down from the war. Come down from what you're doing. Come and meet with us. We want to talk with you. Now, God had already revealed to Nehemiah that they had nothing but death in their hearts towards him. but, But then it says, as you read on, it says in verse two, but they were scheming to harm me. They were actually trying to bring him down from what he was doing to stop the great work he was doing, but also to personally harm him. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot come down now. Why should the work stop while I leave it to come down and see you? four or five times they carry on at him. Come down, we want to meet you. And every time he responds with this great statement, I am not leaving the great work to come down and talk to you. I'm not leaving the great work to come down and uh, deal with your offences. I'm not leaving the great work to come down and be distracted from what God has asked me to do. Um, Also, The reason you want me to come down, I'm not fully persuaded about what your genders are concerning me. So you know what? I'm gonna stay focused on what God has asked me to do. Now, if you know what God's asked you to do, it's an easy answer, isn't it? To the critic that comes or the person that wants to distract you. You just say, listen, I've got a great work. Like Nehemiah, I've got a great work to do here. Listen, I'm busy. Now, don't get me wrong. All the time in the world to meet people's needs all the time in the world to help people wherever we can. Totally committed to love the Lord thy God with all my heart, all my strength, to love my neighbor as myself. Totally committed to give myself away, to give anything I am away for the benefit of others um, as God leads and as they need but also I'm aware that sometimes people have issues, people have offenses, people have agendas, and they're not focusing on what God has asked me to build. They're focusing on letting me know what they feel. Listen, I'm sorry, I'm not coming down the ladder. Why? Because I'm doing a great work. Now, it's not that I'm scared of anyone, not scared of anyone, I'm just obsessed and filled with this vision that God has asked us to do, especially when you look around the world today at what's going on, when you see everything shaking, when you can see so much that's revealed in the Bible that says this is the end times, coming to pass before our eyes. When you look up and you see the harvest field of people dying and you're conscious that the hells of, the flames of hell are still burning and every day people are going to hell because they've not heard or had an opportunity to respond to the gospel that we got people People that need food on their tables. We got people that need practical help. We got people that need spiritual help. We got people struggling emotionally. We've got this incredible great work that God's asked of us. And then you can get a couple of people. Will you come down and talk to me? No, no. You can stand at the bottom of a ladder and shout up. I'll listen, but I'm not coming down. I'm not wasting time. I'm not going to leave a great work. I'm not going to be distracted from what God has asked of us. Because People are relying on what we're doing. So good distraction, small thinking, people's issues, fear. Fear's is another classic. Whenever you've got a vision from God, whenever your leaders have given you a vision, whenever you've got a vision, a sub-vision, a vision related to the bigger vision, whenever you've got vision, often fear will come to distract you from the great work that you're doing. I love that terminology that Nehemiah uses when he says to Tobiah and the guys in Balat: listen, I'm not leaving this great work to deal with you. Listen, we've got to have in our heart that resolute persuasion. Jesus had it when he set his face towards the cross, he had one distraction after another even if even his own disciples were saying to him we're not going to let you die we can't they didn't realize his purpose was to die on the cross he had to personally be resolved in his heart this is where i'm heading even if i arrive there alone listen that's how we need to manage for purposes of god the visions of god we've got to be resolute 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 towards them but when we are resolute sometimes fear can come. Sometimes it's not good distractions. It's not small thinking or small thinkers. It's not people's offences and issues. It's that old thing called fear. Now, I love the story. Again, to me, a brilliant analogy of this is Peter in Luke 14, verse 28. Remember that moment they're in a boat and... All of a sudden they look up and Jesus is walking on the water, boom, 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 boom. He's walking on the water, no paddleboard, no kayak, him, feet, water, he's walking across that water. And all of a sudden the disciples initially were afraid and then they work out it's Jesus. You read the storyline there. And I love it, Peter's initial response. Now Peter was one of his guys, I think a lot like me, where he kind of said something and then stopped afterwards and said, what did I say? Did I just say that? And and this was one of those moments I think for Peter where he went, Lord, if it's you, bid me come. And then he must've thought, hold on, I've just asked if I can get out the boat and walk on the water, but it was too late. Vision had been cast, the request had been made. And I love it that Jesus didn't say, who do you think you are? Stay in the boat. I'm the water walker, you get to watch. That's as it is. He said, come. So suddenly now this vision, this great uh, moment is, is in place where Peter has said, I want to walk on the water with you, Jesus. And Jesus has said, yeah, no problems, come. And it says that Peter gets out of the boat and he starts to walk on the water, <clears throat> starts to walk across the waves. And, he, and, and you see, the reason he's walking is he's resolutely set his face on the face of Jesus. He's got out of the boat. I believe that the whole time he's looking at Jesus and he's getting out of the boat um, and he's walking and he's walking and he's walking and everything's okay. He's walking towards Jesus, he's focused on Jesus, but then... All of a sudden, he drops his eyes and he sees the waves and he hears the wind. And all of a sudden, fear has entrance into his heart and fear says, you could drown. Fear says, this wind could drag you away. The tides could pull you under. You could smash your head on the boat. All these things could, And, and in that moment, what Peter did was he took his eyes from being resolutely set on Christ to looking at the stuff around him. The moment he looked at the stuff around him, fear was born in his heart. And as soon as fear was born in his heart, he no longer looked at Jesus and he began to sink. His fears began to overwhelm him. That which he feared began to take place. And he calls out to the Lord and then, I love it, Jesus reaches out, he says, get a grip. (laughs) He put his hand out, he went, get a grip. Get a grip of my hand again, Peter. And Peter got a grip of his hand. And in gripping the hand of Jesus, he must have looked up at Jesus. And all of a sudden, he became buoyant again. Now, often when people preach this story, they went, oh, we got out of the boat, he sunk. But they forget the bit that he walked back to the boat with Jesus. But it wasn't an ending in failure. It was a lesson learned that whenever you're going to walk by faith, you can't look at the waves, you can't listen to the wind. Listen, again, you can often have people around you that want to give you a weather forecast. You've got a vision from God. You've got a wall to build. You've got an assignment given by God. People haven't seen it like you've seen it. So they come around you, if you allow them, and they go, oh but what about the wind? What about the waves? You could go under, you know how deep it is, you know how strong? Oh, weather forecast tomorrow, going to be 36 mile an hour winds tomorrow. Now, again, what you've got to be able to do is not shut out the voice of wise counsel. The Bible says that there's safety and there's victory in the multitude of counselors. That's not many voices. It's having a people around you that you're accountable to, that their opinion um, moves you, you trust their opinion. Um, a relational approach to a council around you. Please, there's too many people out there that are totally unaccountable. Just do things without asking anyone. Don't even ask their pastors. Let their pastors find out what they're doing later. Don't live like that. That's rubbish. You'll get hurt living like that. Be a person who's accountable, but don't be accountable to small thinkers. Don't be accountable to people that haven't heard what you've heard. Don't be accountable to people that don't get what you're getting or see what you're seeing. So can you hear what I'm saying then? I'm not giving a license to live an unaccountable life. I'm just saying be selective of a council that's around you. You know, tonight um, I'm, I'm meeting tonight with my elders in family church. Great guys, great great families. Love, love the men and women that make up the elders of our church. And tonight I'm meeting with our elders and it's not like rough business. No, it's spending time talking about the vision, the journey, what we're doing next. And I love that because there's an accountability within that. And when each of those men uh, or, or women, that, when, when each of those couples speak into me and Gina, We hear because we know their heart for God and their heart for us. But I don't stand on public stages like Facebook and social media and say, what do you think I should do, everybody? That's what an idiot would do. I don't want to hear because I've got people out there that don't even like me. They hate me. They're waiting for me to fall. Why would I ask their opinion about what I'm going to do? Because all they'll do is provide the wind and the waves. that will make me sink. Have accountability in your life, but be resolute with those who are walking with you concerning the vision you've been given. Now, listen, you're always going to hear the wind outside. Um, You're always going to notice the waves in your peripheral, but you've got to keep your focus on Jesus. And if you do, fear doesn't come to take you away from the purposes and the great work that God has for you. Um, All right, number five. So number one, avoid good distractions. But most distractions come. They're not ugly or horrendous. Um, They're good and they just come to take you away from great. Avoid small thinking um, and small thinkers. Um, It's not about whether we love people or not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying what's inputting into your voice? What's feeding you? What's causing you to walk forward? Um, People's issues, you've got to manage them. You've got to help them. But don't let them bring you away from what God's asked you to do. Fear. Fear. Be careful of fear. How do you avoid fear? You keep your face set like flint on Jesus and on what he's asking of you. Um, and the final one, that I, I, I could have a large list really, but the final one I want to throw in is, con, uh, is confusion. God is not the author of confusion. And sometimes the presence of confusion can mean the, um, that you're turning your face from the vision or what God's asked you to do. Because to me, when I remain resolute on what the Lord's asked me to do, there's no room for confusion in my life. I know the Bible reveals that God is not the author of confusion. So any confusion that comes into my world comes to distract me or to stop me seeing what lays ahead of me or the point that I'm aiming my life at in Christ. Um, Sometimes confusion can come from a number of different ways. Sometimes... Uh, you can just wake up some mornings confused. I've done that. What I do is I go out and I walk and I start to pray. And it's amazing, confusion can sometimes, when you don't know where it's coming from, can be like a fog. And you're like, wow, I went to bed last night and everything was okay. Why am I waking up? And it's just kind of, that's more spiritual than what it is natural. Bless, best way you can get rid of that fog is get out somewhere, start to pray in the Holy Ghost. Just begin to speak in tongues. Pray in the Holy Ghost. Just begin to declare what you know about God. Father, I want to thank you. Lord, there's no guilt and confusion in me today. Father, I want to thank you that I am born again. Lord, you have taken me from separate. You just begin to declare what God has done and what he's given you. I thank you, Lord, I was separated, but now you're the vine and I'm the branch. I thank you, Lord, that the Holy Spirit's in me. Suddenly, the spiritual wind of God begins to blow and the fog of momentary confusion leaves. Other times, confusion can be carried by people. Again, just as small thinking can be carried by people, you've got to be careful that confusion isn't carried by people into your life and into the great work or the vision that God's asked you to do. Just because they're confused, it doesn't mean that you need to be confused. There's an incredible moment again, making Jesus our reference from John 666. Oh my, John 666, John chapter six, verse 66. And it's this moment, you see, at this moment, Jesus is again resolute, he's heading towards the cross. He knows in his heart that he's the grain of wheat that needs to fall for the harvest to come out. He knows that the cross is his destination. Um, and he's, he's walking towards the cross. He's teaching the people not what they want to hear, but what they need to hear. Remember, Jesus only ever repeated what he heard the Father say. And he preaches this one message on that includes this statement, <clears throat> unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you got, you got no place with me. And he was actually prophesying about communion and things ahead. It's an incredible statement that he makes. Again, John 6, verse 66, if you want to read the context of that. But in what he's teaching them uh, prophetically is this statement, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you've got no place with me. If you read on, it says in verse 66 that at that moment, a lot of his disciples, not sinners disciples said what you're saying is too hard to bear and it said many many of his disciples got up and left him at that moment imagine that you've just preached a great message and suddenly you see a whole bunch not of people that were casually listening but a lot of the guys that were walking with you on the journey just go no you've gone too far now mate you've gone too far we we can't be doing this anymore and they get up and they leave and so Jesus is is there like Okay, well, I suppose they didn't like that message. But he wasn't worried because he knew that the message he was given was what the Father had asked him to speak. Now, Jesus was completely secure in his identity because he answered three questions that we all need to answer. We need to know where we came from where we're going and what we're here to do. Jesus lived within the triangle of those three thoughts. He knew where he'd come from. He knew what had been committed to him. He knew where he was going, but he also knew what he was on the earth to do. He didn't need people to give him direction. If they had, they would have made him, like we said on Sunday, somebody that had come to overthrow the Roman Empire. Jesus never came to... to to overthrow the Roman Empire. He came to deal with sin and save humanity. And so in this moment, the disciples are packing their bags and they're shipping out. um, And all of a sudden, some of his key team turn to him and say, oh Jesus, do you you think you should have said that? Jesus, do you know what Jesus says? If you read it, he turns to him, he says, "Um, how about you, are you going to? I love that resolute. That's not arrogant, that's not stubborn. That's a man persuaded with a vision that he'd asked people to join him on that they didn't understand. So you see, they were confused about his journey. He wasn't. They were trying to work out what he was doing when he knew what he was doing. And so they brought their confusion into his persuasion and said, oh, Jesus, I'm not sure. Look, people are getting up and leaving. Do you want to quickly shout after them, Jesus? Sorry, missed it there. Come back, boys. Jesus said, how about you? You want to go too? He wasn't stubborn or arrogant. He knew what he was here to do, and he was willing to do it with those that wanted to do it with him. The rest, he loved them. It wasn't about love. He waved them goodbye, didn't have bitterness in his heart, didn't go to sleep that night going, oh, I'll get them. No, no, he was fine with that, but he was persuaded that his uh, his face was set on the vision that God had given him. Um, So sometimes we can do stuff, and um, confusion can come from the people around us that don't understand fully what we've heard. What we've got to do is always be willing to help them to try and understand. Listen, let me just show you what God's showing me. Let me just show you the direction God's given me here. Um, you know, I don't believe there's any place for arrogance of, oh, well, you don't want to get lost. That's rubbish. We need to always communicate to try and keep as many people on the journey as we can. But we need to understand that we don't negotiate the journey. We don't negotiate vision. We don't negotiate the great work that God's asked us to do to keep people on the journey, all right? Jesus walked with a confidence. Those who are with me are with me. Lord, I've lost, he prays at the end, I've lost none of those that you gave me, Lord. And I believe I'm gonna pray um, at the end of my vision, at the end of my days. Lord, I lost none of those that you gave me. Some people were on the journey for a bit, praise God. Some people were on the journey for a while when they got to pray, but I've lost no one that you've given me, Lord. Now, when the disciples turned around to Jesus and said, oh, 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 what about this? And there was this confusion because they were like, what about us? What did he just do? This confusion came into the camp, but it wasn't in Jesus. Jesus turned to them and said, Listen, boys, if you want to go too, that, that's fine. That's cool. I'm going to carry on doing what God has asked me to do, building what God has asked me to build. You're welcome to stay with me. Or if you feel you need to leave, you can leave too. Um, and then all of a sudden the disciples respond, Yeah, great. Where can we go? you have the words of eternal life. They said what you've told us, what we've known of you thus far, you know where you're going and even in the bits we don't understand, we're staying with you. So okay, so avoid good distractions, small thinking, people's issues, fear and confusion. God's not the author of confusion. If it's a spiritual confusion, get on your knees, go out for a walk in the forest, pray in the Holy Ghost until the sun breaks through. If it's confusion that people are bringing into your life, Deal with that and don't let people bring confusion into your life. Be obsessed and focused on the Father and his heart. And then my last thing I want to say as we close today is then we can, as Paul said in Second Timothy chapter 4, verse 7, we can say the words that he said when he finished um, his assignment. He said, I finished my race, I finished my race, I fought my fight and there now waits for me a crown a crown of righteousness that God has for me. I believe that that's the inheritance of every spiritual leader. That one day we don't hear the Lord say, well, you did good, didn't you? You started, but you didn't finish. And you did good until you quitted. But we, like Paul, are able to say at the end of our days, yeah, what a journey, interesting. Took some beatings there. Yeah, there were some sudden turns there and some curves there. But you know what, through it all, because the Holy Spirit enabled me, I thought I fought my good fight. I won my boxing match. I finished my race. What God asked me, I'm not talking about Billy Graham's race, I'm not talking uh, about Yongi Chow's race, I'm not talking about Smith Wigglesworth's race. That's, that was their race. I finished my race. And now there awaits for me a winner's crown. Now the Bible says, but one day we'll all cast our crowns at his feet. But isn't it a beautiful thought that for the life you choose to live for God on this earth, if you just remain faithful and true to do what he's asked of you, the Bible says that there's a winner's crown that awaits for you. We as leaders need to be more obsessed with that leader's crown, that winner's crown, than momentary things that go around us or people that come and go. Come on, let's finish the race that God's given us to run. Let's win the fight he's given us to win and let's tee ourselves up to one day be able to bow before the king and receive a crown for completing or finishing what he asked of us. hey i hope you enjoyed those thoughts on staying focused we've got loads of other resources we'd love to make available for you to uh, read to watch to listen to you can visit all of these on our linktree site which is linktree that's L-I-N-K-T-R. dot e backslash andy.elms really good resources go and uh, take a look and see what's available also don't forget at the beginning of november we have our new book coming out soul winner so excited about that Okay, join me next week for The Spiritual Leader.